find out what happens when people stop being polite and start being real. The Real World Daniel Plan Style. Nice to meet you. Daniel, nice to meet you, man. Yeah. So what brings you here? Uh, nothing, dude. You know, I'm just coming here to, to hang out, you know, keep these guys in line. No idea what the heck he's doing, but, you know, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 15, really talks about, you know, happiness and just enjoying the world that God gave you. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, look at this guy. He's carrying Doritos and yeah. lettuce, and this other guy's got sauce on his face and drinking Coke. I don't know what the heck's in the bottle. You know? Gotta yeah. keep everybody straight. Yeah. I'm trying to come here... I'm trying to change their lives in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. It says, as iron sharpens iron, man can sharpen the likeness of man. I ain't sharpening nothing. I have no idea what the heck these guys are doing. They're all stupid. I, I, I guess, yeah. Hey, I'm, uh, hey. I'm, I'm, I'm Scott. Scott. Daniel. It's a pleasure. I, I've heard a lot about you, Daniel, and I'm, I'm just trying to figure out, man. Should I live to eat? Oh, Should I eat to live? I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited to get to talking to you, Scott. I, I want you to be a role model for me, okay? I, I just, I really need your help. I can't, oh my God. I can't focus. Oh, my Lord. Okay. You know, I wake up every day, and I try to make the best decision. But this is making it so hard, because it says i got to wash it before using it. I don't want to wash food. I just want to open this bag right here and snack boldly. Spicy. I want to be spicy. Sweet. I wish I was sweet, just like Joe, and chili-flavored. That sounds like a dream. But I don't want to disappoint Daniel. And that guy really reminds me of somebody. A biblical character, if you know what I mean. Hey, and what, what, what brings... What's, what's your name? I'm George. Do you want some pizza and stuff, crust? No, uh, do you know... You kind of... That's, that's not the point of this. No, 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 no. That's not the point of this. Okay. Let's let's hold off on that. I mean, I don't really get what his problem is. It's just stuffed crust pizza. And 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 your name? Hey, you seem like a, you gotta go. On. I'm Joe. How's it going, man? Good. Hey, hey, oh, man. You you need so some muscle tone here, bro. You know? Right. Yeah, yeah. So Daniel seems like an all right guy, but you know he can stand and you know tone up a little bit. Work on his, you know, his mechanics, trying to get it right. Because, you know, if he wants to be as fly as this, you know, he's going to have to put some work into it. You know, this doesn't happen all overnight. Uh, where's my, where am I sleeping tonight? Yeah. Should we share a bed? Uh, I'll have my own. Uh, I... So, yeah, the guys, the guys seem uh, really, really cool, really nice guys. Uh, Michael's, he's a little intense. Uh, I think he's... Got the kind of uh, the wrong idea about all of this. Uh, Joe, he's he's a very buff guy. He's a little rough, though. Um, we'll definitely work on that with him. He's into you know how he looks and you know just going out, having a nice time and stuff. Um, again, not really what we're we're here to do. Um, George, George is. Uh, I guess we can say he lacks motivation. And Scott's uh, someone that I feel we can definitely motivate. He's a lot like most people when they just start off the Daniel plan, kind of on the on the edge of things, uh, not really sure what he's getting himself into, whether it's just the food or whether there's more into it. But once he and I think most of the guys start to realize that it's not me that has all the answers, and it's really God who gives us the power to, to go on. We can get past this initial step of getting started and really move forward. But, you know, I really think the guys like me. I need help. I don't know what to do. No, you, you yeah. do need help, and the lettuce is browning. This it's is ridiculous. Alright, I'm gonna take some.
this? I think this one's really loud. This one's very loud. <laughs> test, test. How about this? Maybe down a little bit more? Sometimes I tend to get a little bit loud. Can y'all hear me? Okay, very good. Maybe down just a little bit. I tend to scream sometimes. <laughs> I've, so I've been told. So I've been told. All right, well, I hope you guys are excited. Welcome to the first week here in the Daniel plan. Maybe just a little bit more down there, too. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. These guys work very hard back here because a lot of our people are out of town, so these guys have been working very hard here. Welcome to the first week in the Daniel plan. If you're just kind of joining us and you don't know anything about the Daniel plan, then you should be excited because what we are doing today is we're starting a six-week journey together. And it's something that we're going to do as a community, as a church together, and we're going to find there's tremendous strength to going through this journey as a church body. It's not just a weight loss thing. It's not just an eating healthy thing. It's not just an exercise fad or any of those things. What we are going to do here through this six-week Daniel plan journey is we are going to go to God's prescription for healthy living. And since it is 4th of July weekend, and it's Independence Day and revolution, all this kind of stuff. We're starting a revolution here today in our church. Because what we are saying is that what we want to do is we want to go to God, the creator of our bodies, and we want to see his prescription for how this thing is supposed to operate and how we're supposed to treat this body that he given to us. The Daniel plan is based on a story from the Bible about a guy named Daniel, very creatively titled. A guy named Daniel, I'm sure you all heard his story. He had a book named after him and everything. In the Old Testament, Daniel is one of the children of Israel, one of the Jewish people, people of God. But Daniel lived at a time where the Israelites had been captured by a, a, another country called Babylon. Babylon was bad guys. They did not worship God. They ransacked the Israelites, and then they, took, they killed many of them, and then they took many more into captivity. And they're living in this place called Babylon, and that's where we pick up the story of Daniel and three of his buddies. While Daniel is in captivity, the king, who has a cool name, his name is Nebuchadnezzar. Say that with me, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, very evil guy, one of the worst guys ever. But Nebuchadnezzar was a smart guy. He said, we got all these slaves here with us, and we want to use them as part of our workforce, as opposed to just manual labor. He created some kind of like a type of internship program. Or he said, choose me, the best and the brightest from these children of Israel, and bring them to me, and they're going to spend some time, and like I said, like this internship program, where they can, if they graduate and they pass, kind of like Survivor, okay, if they kind of get through all the obstacles, then what they can do is serve in like the cabinet level of the king as high-level royal advisors. Daniel gets chosen for this, along with three of his friends. Their names are Hananiah, say after me, Hananiah. Azariah and Mishael. Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. Later they were given Babylonian names and those by which they're most commonly known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But their real names are their, are their Hebrew names, which those were the three names. Anyway, Daniel and his three friends whose names are were chosen for this program, and one of the perks of the program was they get to eat meals at the royal table. And they would eat, not like the rest of the slaves, they would sit around the royal table, and they would have the finest delicacies and wines and all kinds of good food. And that's where we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 1, verse 5. And it says, And the king appointed for them, a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. So the king brings them and says, you guys are going to eat this royal food so that you can be healthy and strong and not eat like the slave food. The slaves just ate whatever grew in the ground. Problem was, is that the dietary rules of the children of Israel were contrary to the rules of the rest of the world. So the Babylonians were feeding them food that by Jewish law was restricted by God, was, was not allowed by God. So because of that, Daniel and his three friends, they don't want to break the rule. Daniel 1.8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which, with, with which, which he drank. 
Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Think about what Daniel did. He's living, okay, as a Hebrew, and he's with Hebrews. He keeps the laws. And now all of a sudden, he goes and lives in Babylon as a slave. And he's forced to eat the king's delicacies. How would we respond? How would you respond to that? You ever heard of when in Rome? That's what we would do. That's what we would all do. Whether it's our church fasting, well, we did our best, but when in Rome. Whether it's a diet, we did our best, but it's 4th of July. When in Rome, that's kind of the principle that we would all have. But Daniel and his three friends said, no, we will not break the law of God. Now, why was Daniel so adamant that he would not break the law of God? Why? Think about it. What did Dan Daniel knew something that none of us, if we can get this in our head, it'll make the biggest difference as far as our health. Daniel understood something that me and you, we struggle with this concept. Why did God give them these dietary restrictions? Why? Why did God say, don't eat that and don't eat that and only eat that? Why? What was the motivation behind his giving the law? Torture? That's what it must be. Because that's what we think. God gave us this law to torture us and to make us miserable. And because of that, the first opportunity we have to break it, we break it. But Daniel knew that God didn't give the law out of torture. Parents, why do we tell our kids what they can eat and can't eat? Why? Because we care about their health. God cared about the health of the people, and that's why he told them, don't eat this food and eat this food. Because God is the one who created our bodies, and he's the one who wrote the manual. And he knows what kind of gasoline, when you put in it, it makes it run well. And what kind of gasoline, when you put in it, it does not make it run well. That's why, if you all remember, we did a series on the Bible several months ago, and we talked about how God knew stuff before anyone else, before science knew stuff before anyone else. God, for example, talked about these foods, don't eat them. And we later discovered these foods lead to these diseases. God was a dietitian before there were dietitians. He was a nutritionist. God was also an expert on medical research. And God said, when someone has this disease, put him away for a period of 14 days. Why? Not to be mean, because God understood contagious and infectious diseases before there was the CDC. God knew all that stuff, and that's why everything prescribed in the Bible was not given to torture the people to make us suffer, but because, because God knew how to, our bodies best operate. So Daniel says, we ain't eating that king's food. Now, the, the official, the eunuch who was like in charge of them, think of him like the prison warden, was kind of alarmed at this decision. He'd never heard this before, that a slave would reject the good food. So he says this, And the chief of the eunuch said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. What'd this guy say? He says, look here. I appreciate your religious laws and customs, but I got a job to do. And if I'm responsible to feed you guys and get you all fatted up, and the king prescribed the order of what you're going to eat, and y'all look frail and skinny, it's going to be my head, not yours. So he said, I don't agree with this decision because I'm trying to protect my own head right here. But Daniel, full of wisdom, struck a deal with the guy. And he said this, verse 12 through 14. He said, please test your servants for 10 days. Please test us for 10 days. And then let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then our appearance. And then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them 10 days. Daniel struck a deal. He said, look, let's go 10 days. And let's us, we'll obey God's laws, okay, and you obey your laws. Just 10 days. The program is many months, years, give us 10 days. This next six weeks is going to be us saying what Daniel said. It's going to say, we're going to give you, God, a period of testing. We're going to test treating our bodies as prescribed by God, the way God told us to treat our bodies. And then we're going to test and we're going to see. And we're going to see what the outcome is. They thought that when these guys didn't eat the good food, they'd be weak, they'd be frail, they wouldn't be able to compete with the rest of the guys. But let's see how the story ends up. It says, and at the end of the 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away the portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and, literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. 
the root of the next six weeks of this series is this, is that God's prescription for our health is the best. And that when we obey God's prescription, and I'm not just talking, some of you are freaking out because it's talking about just eating vegetables. I'm not, this isn't just about eating, okay? One week we're going to talk about eating, all right? There's going to be one week in the series, but we're going to talk about much more than eating. We're going to talk about what we call the five F's or five essentials of our health. Food, fitness, faith, focus, and friends. Food, fitness, faith, focus, and friends. And each week we're going to take one of those and see how God prescribed for us to live in each of these five areas. Because God has given us clear instruction in each of these areas. How we should treat our bodies as far as what we put in. How we should behave with our bodies and exercise our bodies. How we should rest our bodies. What we should not allow to invade our mental, mental faculties in our bodies. And how we should relate with other people as well. God's given us clear instructions. And we're going to see like Daniel, that when we follow God's instructions, we'll never be worse off for it, but in the exact opposite. So we're going to start this week with like an introduction. Talk about God's plan for my body. And what we're going to see here today, like I said, this is more than just exercise, eat right. If, if you are coming just to hear exercise and eat right, there's nothing I can teach you you don't already know. There's, no, there's, there's nothing that I'm going to sit here and tell you that you haven't heard a thousand times. Shouldn't eat this. Should exercise this. Shouldn't stress out this. Should sleep more like this. We know all those things. But something happens because the knowledge in here hasn't translated to life out here. The knowledge here hasn't translated because we've all done what one of the things that St. Paul says in Romans chapter 7. He says, I don't understand what I'm doing. The things that I will to do, that I do not do. But that which I hate, that I do. And I think many of us can relate to that same idea. That which I, the resolution that I write, and I've written it, and I'm so good at writing it, I've written it every single year. All right? It's the same resolution. I've never, ever been able to implement it. The same promises that I make to myself every time I find myself falling. So what is it that's going to make this Daniel plan different than all the New Year's resolutions that we set in the past? Well, I want to talk about three things right now. Ways that we usually fall short when we make resolutions that hopefully we'll correct here in the Daniel plan. Number one, in the Daniel plan, we will rely on God's power, not on willpower. We will rely on God's power, not on willpower. Willpower, sorry to break it to you, doesn't work. If willpower worked, you'd be a size six, and I would have been able to resist that second serving of chocolate cake. Willpower doesn't work because we all do things that we wish that we wouldn't do, yet we can't stop ourselves from doing it. You know what willpower is? The best analogy I ever heard for this. Imagine a boat, a speedboat, all right? Speedboat that's set, you know, for course right here. And you set the autopilot on the speedboat and you say, go, you know, 20 uh, degrees starboard, all right, in this direction. Uh, you programmed it, all right? And then once you programmed it, it goes. And then let's say along the way you decide that you want to change the course a little bit. So you decide to grab the wheel and turn it this way. You want to go this direction, not this direction. Would you be able to change the direction of the boat by forcing it? Probably. But how long do you think you'd be able to hold that up? You'd have to force it and use a lot of energy because the wheel, the, 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 the autopilot is working against you. It's going this way, so you could force it in this direction. But what's going to happen the second that you get tired or the second that you need a break? What's going to happen? Back to where it programmed. And then you are going to muster up all your energy and say, okay, I'm going to do it again this time, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to hold on, and I'm going to hold on. And then you're going to need to sneeze, or you need to go to the bathroom, or it's going to be 4th of July, or whatever it's going to be. And the second you blink, back to this direction. Isn't this how we live most of our lives with willpower? This is what willpower is. That's why we will not rely on willpower. We will hopefully increase our willpower, but we can't rely on our willpower. Relying on willpower is like relying on your muscles to steer the boat the other direction. What we rely is on God's power. And what we are going to try to do is change the programming on the autopilot. Because that's a much smarter way to do it, isn't it? If we could just change the autopilot programming. That's why, like I said, this is going to be one week in this series where we're going to talk about focus. And we're going to talk about how to put in here the right kind of thoughts that God wants us to have towards this stuff. And try to remove all those negative things that are steering us back in the other direction. Anytime you use willpower, 
You are forcing yourself to do something that your brain is programmed against. And that isn't going to work in the long term. Number two, we will find the right motivation. What I discovered is one of the reasons that we so often fail in our efforts to get healthy is we're doing it for the wrong reason. Why do you want to get healthy? Want to look good? Want to fit into that dress? Even, even you want more energy? Like these are all good things. I'm not saying they're bad. Like they're good. But if all your motivation is, is self-focused, I guarantee you there's going to come a point in time where you're going to fail. Our motivation needs to be bigger than me. I need to be motivated and driven by something beyond myself in order to keep myself going when the going gets tough. Me personally, share for me personally. I know it's hard to believe, okay, but every now and then I think that I could probably stand to lose a few pounds, okay? I know, it's hard to believe, I know. It ain't easy, but I know. I know. So every now and then I say, you know what, I need to start eating healthy. Not so much because I care how I look because I wear this all the time. So, I mean, <laughs> this is best thing, okay, if you don't want to eat healthy. But just because my eating habits are, are pretty poor. Like, anyone who's ever been with me, like, I, my, at my eating habits, like, I'm quantity, not quality. Like, that's, I've always been that way. I'm not, I have the worst eating habits. And I know it's not good. And especially as I start to get a little bit older, you know, like, these things are important. So every now and then I muster up the motivation, whatever, and I give it a try. But then, like I said, it, it only lasts until there's like a holiday or there's like an occasion or Saturday, like whatever comes first, all right? <laughs> and I never was able to find long-term success when it comes to eating healthy. Now, I'm not going to say that I'm perfect in it right now, but I will say is that this year, the year 2014, has been a, a bit of a breakthrough for me. At the start of the year, and for those who were at the Momentum Conference, all right, which we did in uh, February, I spoke a little bit about goals, all right? I have, actually, I print, got grab me that piece of paper on that chair, sorry. I printed out, I brought my goal list right here, okay? One of the goals, I came up with a list of goals at the start of this year, and one of the goals I came up with was in regards to, thank you very much, was in regards to, like, how I, you know, like, healthy and body and get myself in shape, and I wrote down, like I have this little piece of paper here with, with four of my goals. I have eight of them. These are four. And they're right in front of my desk. So if you ever come to my office, you see it right in front of my desk. I see it every day. And it says, get to a certain number of pounds by July 1st. All right? And I set for myself. And what that number of pounds is, it relates to my wedding weight. Okay? How much I weighed when we got married. All right? Which I haven't seen that wedding weight in 13 years. But I said, you know what? I'm going to get to that. And when I started off the year... All right, I was roughly 22 pounds over that wedding weight. Roughly 22 pounds. I'm not going to say I accomplished it all, but I would say as of Thursday morning when I prepared this talk, of the 22 pounds, I had six more to go. <laughs> that is good, and I was smart to do it on Thursday before the holiday weekend. <laughs> I don't know what it is this morning, but I tell you on Thursday, um, as of Thursday, of the 22 that I had, 16 gone, six left to go. Does that mean that I ate perfect throughout the entire year? Absolutely not. And there's many times that I fell. But every time I fell, I came back. You know why? Because underneath that goal, that's where most of us fall short. We have the goal, but we don't have underneath it why we want it. Let me read to you why underneath I want to get to that weight. Number one, to feel good about myself and give me self-confidence. Number two, to have more energy and be more productive. Number three, to be healthy for my family into the future. Like play with ball with my kids and stuff like that. Number four, to be able to continue to play basketball with the young guys. Because anytime we play ball, I always find myself I'm the oldest guy. And I don't want to, I, I found myself, there was a time I kept injuring myself. And people around me would tell me, you're old, stop playing ball. And I said, no, out of stubbornness, I'm going to continue. But I said, in order to continue, I need to be able to get myself a little bit better shape. And then the last one, to set a good example for others. We fall short because we set a goal and we don't understand why we want to accomplish that goal. Or the goal, we want to accomplish it just to, just to look good or just to fit into whatever. Well, what happens after you fit into whatever? Then where, where, what keeps you going? What I'm saying is we need to find the right motivation and to find out what it is that's driving us to do it and to put that in front of our eyes. And then, yes, when 4th of July came, we fell, and then we looked at that list again. We said, you know what? Back on, on the wagon. 
And every time, this is the way that, that any time I've ever lost weight in the past, I've been able to lose more quicker. But I haven't been able to sustain it this long. Okay, like easy for me, you know what I mean? Like the willpower and the force and the stuff like that. But then it's short and then it, it ends after a while. The difference this time is I believe that if you figure out why, God will help you with how you want to get in shape. We will find the right motivation. And number three, we will not try to do it on our own because this is the biggest mistake that you can make in anything in life. You will always have more success when we do it together in a context of a team or a community. This is why we're doing something called life groups. And this is why I encourage anyone who wants to take this seriously, join a Daniel Plan life group. They're going to be starting this week. You haven't missed any sessions yet. You stop by the connection table after we finish and you find a group that meets in your area, convenient for you, and you join. Even if nothing else, just the support of being together in a group. Like I know one group already that said we're going to do like a little competition amongst each other. All right, and who can uh, get the most in shape and who can lose the, the weight this way. And they're gonna, That little competition... Some people, you know, I wouldn't know, but some people are competitive. That might help you, okay? Some people that might drive you and encourage you when you're not going through it all on your own. Stop saying, one day I'll get there. Stop saying that. Let's end that today. Because as a wise man once said, if you could have, if you could have, you would have, but you can't, so you won't. Wise man said that. If you could have, you would have, but you can't, so you won't. So it's time for us to say we can't do it on our own, and we need some help to get our bodies in line with what God wants. Now, the question that should be on everyone's mind, the question that should be on everyone's mind, especially all the spiritual people in the room, is this seems so, what's the worst thing that you can say to a Christian in a church? This seems so secular. <laughs> this seems so secular. This isn't spiritual. This is secular. I don't even know what that means, to be honest, but it's really bad, okay? God only cares about our spirits, not our bodies, right? Right? Isn't that what it is? God doesn't care about our bodies. Like, tell people to pray. Don't tell people to get healthy. Tell people to pray more. And tell people that, that, that they need to, to work on, on spiritual things, not on physical, earthly things, body things. For those who follow me on my blog, I put I, I, I wrote about this on on whatever day it was this week on Wednesday. I talked about this series and this concept. And it was it, it didn't even take an hour for me to get that first comment of someone asking this question. But wait a minute. Isn't the body bad? And doesn't the Bible say, doesn't the Bible say that the spirit wars against the body? And we're supposed to like crucify our body? Isn't that what we're supposed isn't that what the Bible says? Is that what the Bible says? Does the Bible say we should crucify our body? Does the Bible say that the spirit fights against the body? We need to talk about what the Bible says about our body because it's a very misunderstood concept. Most important thing is understanding the Bible makes a distinction between your flesh and your body. Your flesh and your body. And I know this sounds like semantics. It sounds like splitting hairs. But forget about the English word because in English, the word is the same. Your flesh is your body. Forget about the English word. Try to understand the biblical concept. There's a biblical concept which is written in English words, but understand the concept and don't get stuck on the words because the words are insignificant. It's the concept that makes more sense. Galatians 5.17 says this. It says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit. Not the body, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Flesh is bad, but not body. Body is different. I want you to think of it this way. Like I'll try to draw you a picture. When God created man, he created man as a person. And as a person, I'm a person. I have different components within me, but it all is my personhood. I have a, I have a, a body. I have a mind. I have like emotions. I have a soul inside me. Like I am a complete person. And this entire person was created by God. Not that God created a soul and that soul was good and then he just needed something to put it inside. So he said, okay, give me that body and just stick it inside the body. And the body's just like an iPhone case. The body is not just a case that we're going to throw away. The body is part of me. And all of me was created good. 
So what's the flesh and what's the spirit? Me as a person has a body, a soul, a mind, whatever, a heart, whatever. The flesh and the spirit refers to what we inherited. God gave us the spirit. Adam gave us the flesh. And now the struggle in life that this is talking about is which one of those two is going to control my person? Which one is going to control my mind? Spirit given to me by God or the flesh, the fleshly desires, that human, that sinful human nature given to me by Adam. Christ gave me, Adam gave me. This is what's warring against one another. The sinful human nature, the spirit of God which is inside me. That's the flesh that's bad. And all of life is trying to see which of these two I'm going to let control my mind, let control my heart, and let control my body as well. Don't separate your body from your person. Okay, that's like a, something like Socrates and Aristotle and those guys and Plato. They got messed up with that stuff. Okay, they used to teach, like I said, that the body is just like an iPhone case. It's the iPhone we care about, but the case, we throw it away. God doesn't throw away the body. What do we mean throw away the body? Who said God throws away your body? God doesn't throw, first of all, God recycles. Okay, God doesn't throw away. God takes your body. He gives it to you to use. You, may, you might mess it up or ding it up here and there, but absolutely God recycles that body. Look here. We'll read about the flesh, and then we'll get to the body in a little bit. This is what the flesh is all about. In, in Galatians 5.19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy, outbursts of wrath. This is the flesh that's bad, that we crucify the flesh, and that flesh fights against the spirit, not the body. He goes on, selfish ambition, dissension, heresy, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, that just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Body, good, created by God, will be recycled one day when we rise. Just as Jesus, right, Jesus died, all right, and then he rose with his body, we will die and we will rise with our body. And Jesus was given a new body, and we will be given a new body. But that new body, make no mistake about it, when people saw him, they recognized him. So that body is connected to the old body. Meaning it's not we throw away the old and he gives us something new. He takes the old and transforms it into something new, which we don't know exactly what it'll look like. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. St. Paul says this about our bodies. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Why St. Paul said offer your bodies? Is this a secular statement right here? Secular. It should say offer your hearts. We'd feel good about that. Offer your hearts. Offer your thoughts. Offer your, 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 your emotions. Why offer your bodies? You know why I offer your bodies? The example I always think of is example in this picture, which we just read about earlier today for those who are here at the liturgy in the morning. When Archangel Gabriel came to Virgin Mary and says, you are going to give the greatest sacrifice ever known to mankind. You're going to bear the Son of God in your womb. She was asked literally, literally to offer her body. And what happened when she offered her body to God? What did that change in her? Everything. Like, offer your mind, okay, mm, there it is, but it, I, didn't, I didn't change anything. <laughs> offer me your heart, mm, okay, offer you my heart. I offered you my heart. No, no, no. Put your money where your mouth is. Offer your body. Because when Virgin Mary literally gave her body and Christ came and dwelt inside it, then her whole life was never the same. Ladies, when you offer, when your body is full with a little human being inside, that changes everything about life, doesn't it? Changes how you eat. Changes the places you go. It changes the shoes that you might have to wear. It changes everything when you offer your body. And that's why when St. Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, he is saying your entire person should be offered to God and no part is excluded from it. I believe the same way God did the Virgin Mary, and she offered her body. I believe God wants us to offer our bodies and say, God, this body belongs to you. And you tell me, you direct me how you want me to treat it. Three facts about our body. 
that we need to understand as an intro to this series that will guide everything that we talk about over the next five weeks. The first fact is God the Father created my body. It is his property. God the Father created my body. It is his property. My body does not belong to me. It is not my choice what I do with my body. And I know those are fighting words here in the United States of America for me to say it is not your choice what you do with your body, especially on Independence Day. But you know what? The truth of the matter is, is your body is not your own. You didn't make it. You didn't create it. It was given to you as a gift by God. And it is his property. And he tells us how we use it, not vice versa. 1 Corinthians 6.13. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but the body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Your body wasn't created for you to do whatever it is that you want when you say, it's my body, I'll do what I want with it. No, your body was created by God and it was given to you as a gift to use for his purposes. Do you know what it means to say, my body is mine, I'll do what I want with it? This is exactly like a child five-year-old child who is living in a house with his parents and says, this is my room. You can't come in. Excuse me? This is my room? This ain't your room. This is my room, and you're lucky that I let you sleep in here. No such thing as my room. I don't know if you all remember the Cosby Show. There was a great episode in the Cosby Show. One time, Theo, all right, Theo was telling his dad something about, like, we're rich, and he was saying, like, you know, you know we're rich, and we're rich, and we're rich. And the dad said to him, very great statement. He said, he said son, your mother and I are rich. You have nothing. <laughs> you have nothing. And he kept repeating it. And that's, that's the truth about us. We have nothing. We live in a nice house. It ain't yours. We have this nice body. It's mine. I'll do what I want with it. No, you will not, son. Your body was given to you by God. And just because he lets you live in it for a few years, he paid for it. He decorated it. All the stuff inside is his. We can't say that we will do what we want with it. Bible says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 11 and 23. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eager, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. You know what that means? That means that God created you. He opened up a room for you to live in. All right, and say, this is my room. But he's going to come back in there one day. He's going to take the room back. And he's going to ask you, what did you do with it? God has given to us our bodies. And it's a, it's a biblical concept called stewardship. Stewardship means I'm given something to manage for a time. But then the owner will soon come back and hold me accountable for how I treated that gift. I'm not just talking about your body. I'm talking about everything, but including your body. Like this principle is a spiritual principle, meaning God gave us our mind. How do we fill our mind? God's going to hold us accountable. God gave me health. How do I use my health to serve him and glorify him? Or do I destroy my health? God will hold me accountable to the health that he has given me. Because so many other people were not given that same amount of health or that same quantity or that same quality of life. God will hold me accountable and my body is no different. Number one. My body was created by God the Father. It's his property. Number two, the Holy Spirit lives in my body. It is his home. First of all, you got to treat your body good because it belongs to God. But secondly, because God actually lives in there. You can't say it's my room. I'll do what I want. The Holy Spirit lives in this part of the room. You can't treat it however you want without at least discussing with the roommate. Every single person in this world has a home address. If you knock on the Holy Spirit's door, say, I want to send you a letter. Where do I mail it to? What's your mailing address? You know what he'd say? He'd say you. He'd say, I live inside you. That's where I live. We think of the Holy Spirit as someone who's kind of out there and floating all around. He may be out there, but then every day he comes home and, and, and goes to bed right here. Because this is where he lives. And because he lives in here, it is not my right to treat my body however it is that I want. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the place where God lives. 
ever since the beginning of the Bible, God has said, I want to live amongst my people. And that's why Moses got, went up the mountain, got the Ten Commandments. And the first thing that God told Moses after he got the Ten Commandments, he said, when you go down there, I want you to build me something called a tabernacle. Moses said, why, God? What's a tabernacle? You can read about it in Exodus 25 and 26. He said, it's a place where I can dwell amongst my people. And I want it to be this big. I want it to be this color. I want it to be made of this. And God was very particular. Build me a tabernacle, a place that I can live. Later on, King David came around. And King David said, God, this tabernacle is like a moving tent. Man, all of us have nice homes. God, you don't have a home. We have homes and you don't have a home. I want to build you a house for you. And God said, this is a very noble cause. And I agree, we should build a house for me, but not you, your son's going to do it because you had some problems and stuff. We'll let your son do it. But David, David set the blueprint and prepared all the materials. Everyone says Solomon built the temple. David did 90% of the work of the temple by preparing all the materials and like the, the structure, all right, in his mind. He developed the concept. And finally, when Solomon came, he built him a glorious temple. And they all said, now, God, you have a place that you can live amongst your people. God likes dwelling amongst his people. After the tabernacle was destroyed, where does God live now? I'm sorry, not the, tab the temple. Went from the ta ta tabernacle to the temple, and then that was destroyed. Where does God live now? All of a sudden, God doesn't care about living amongst his people. God doesn't care about being on earth. No, I'm the temple. I'm the moving temple. I'm the living temple. Everything is mobile these days, right? All right, we don't need landlines, landline temples. We have mobile temples, and I'm a temple of God. Imagine you're walking down the street. You're walking down Fairfax Drive today, and you walk by a church, and you see someone vandalizing that church, breaking the windows, spray painting the wall. What would you do? Forget about even a church. I would hope you'd do it if it was a synagogue or a, a mosque or a, a temple, whatever it is, a place where people worship God. And you saw that. What would you do? Stand by idly? Join in the fun? No, you take action. Depending on the size of the people doing it, okay, you may take action or you may call for action to be taken. But you're not going to walk by somebody vandalizing a church and say, well, who cares? No, that's, that's, that's a crime. And that, that's bad. Well, you know what? If we're the temple of God, man, some of us need to turn ourselves in for the way we've been vandalizing the temple of God. Some of us need to turn ourselves in for the crimes that we've been committing against this temple. And again, if you think I'm talking about just losing weight and eating, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the way we put stress on this building that was never meant to carry that kind of stress. The way that we, we indulge in evening and weekend activities that this body was never, ever meant to be able to handle. Some of us need to fix up our temple. Number one, God the Father created it. It's his property. Number two, God the Holy Spirit lives in it. It's his home. Number three, God the Son, Jesus Christ, purchased my body on the cross. It is his prized possession. My body was paid for in full when Jesus went up on a cross and died for me. Imagine you've always wanted something. Let's say a fancy car, your dream car. What's your dream car? What's the fanciest car that you can imagine? Let's go Hyundai Sonata. <laughs> That's what I drive. Let's say you wanted yourself a fancy schmancy Hyundai Sonata. The kind with the dent in the front bumper and everything, okay? And let's imagine this is your dream car, and let's imagine it costs, okay, which we know it doesn't, but let's say it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars, all right? Hundreds of thousands of dollars for this state-of-the-art, driven by Father Anthony, Hyundai Sonata. It's like a top-of-the-line, like the best thing ever. And you don't have enough money, so what you do is you save, and you save, and you get an extra job, and you save, and you, and you eat cereal and bologna every day. You save, and you save, and you save, and you save up, and then finally, you purchase it. But then... You weren't actually purchasing it for yourself. You purchased it, and then your son comes along. And you say to your son, like, I want to give this to you. I want it back, but I want to leave it with you while I'm going on this overseas trip. How do you expect your son to take care of that possession of yours? Which cost a lot of money and cost you your blood, sweat, and tears to put into it. You expect him to be driving 100 miles an hour between traffic lights, like gas and then brake like that? You expect him to be doing donuts in a, in, a, in a muddy pit? 
if he values me, he will value what I value, right? Well, I got news for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says, You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Everything I'm talking about applies not just to our body, but our body and our spirit. But we hear the spirit all the time. So I'm not negating that by saying that the body is more. I'm not saying it like that. I'm saying we talk about this all the time. Now I want to tell you that your body is not evil. Your body is not secular, whatever that means. Your body is the possession of God. And it is his prized possession, which he bought and paid for in full with his own blood, sweat, and tears. Every time you look at this picture of Jesus on the cross, or any picture of Jesus on the cross, every home should have a picture of Jesus on the cross. Right? And everyone should look at that picture. Before you pray, all, like you have to look at the picture of Jesus on the cross several times a day. Okay, I hope it's in a place that you can walk by and see it. But look at the picture of Jesus on the cross. And every time you see that picture, you see Jesus with his arms wide open, and you remember that he is saying, I love you this much. But I can only one hand because I have a knuckle. I love you this much. All right? This much. I love you so much. And listen to me. I'm not saying Christians, I love you this much. He never said Christians, I love you this much. He said if you're Buddhist, if you're Muslim, if you don't even know what you are, I love you this much. I love you so much that I would rather die than live without you. I love you so much that you could say, I love you so much that it hurts. You, I can't, I'm not saying I love your spirit. I'm saying I love you and your body is part of the you that I love this much and that I can't live without. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says this. It says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For you are the temple, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. If you saw someone while you're walking down the street vandalizing a church, you'd say, man, that guy is in trouble. And I'm telling you, if you see someone vandalizing their body, what God says is, that's even worse. Because you are the living temple of God. And what I want to leave you with today is this. All right, today, like I say, we're just doing an intro today. All right, we're not getting into all the meat until starting next week. But I hope, I hope that all of us are convinced that as the temple of God, we are his, our body is his property, our body is his home, and our body is his prized possession. That we are motivated to take better care of God's house. And I'm telling you, the stuff that I'm talking about right here, this is stuff that is going to not benefit God, it's going to benefit us. Because we are the ones who have the most, like God created this machine to function a certain way. And what, like I was talking about, my motivation to get this machine in order, there's the more I realize how much God wants to do in me and through me. And I realize that I don't want to do just this much in life. Man, I want to do this. But if I want this machine, if I want this car to run for 200,000 miles, I got to start changing the oil more often. I got to put, start putting the good gas inside. If I want this thing to just live for 50,000 miles and then crash, then yeah, put whatever junk you want inside the engine. But I believe that this machine was made for much more. And I believe that that one was as well. And we'll never realize the full potential of what we could be in Christ until we live by God's prescription for our health. Leave you with this thought. It's time to do a little fixing up to God's temple. It's good for us because we don't have a church building, right? We live in this nice building, which doesn't belong to us. We rent this place. So it's nice for us when I say, guys, we got a fix-up day at the church. You see, you need a lot of churches to do this. We have a clean-up day at the church. We're all going to get together at the church, bring our tools. We're going to fix broken stuff. Well, that's what we're going to do for the next six weeks. But the church is your body. And we're all going to start fixing up our bodies. And we're going to start fixing up our health. And start fixing up our, our mental uh, abilities as well. And we're going to get ourselves in order. And I'm telling you, don't miss this chance because there is power when we will do this together as a group. And I don't want anyone to miss out on this opportunity. That's why I'm saying the life groups are so important because there's power 
and motivation and strength. When we together are doing it, we motivate each other and we push each other. And I don't want anyone to miss this opportunity. What we are going to do is we're going to take our, we're going to change the way we think about our bodies. I'm going to see my body as a creation of God, as his possession, as, as, as his home. And I'm going to say, God, I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to ask you how you want me to take care of it. Because I know that you created this body for a lot more than I'm doing with it right now. All right? Let's stand up together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for this day that you have given to us in this beautiful weekend. We celebrate freedom and, and all the good things that we have here in this country. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see our bodies as your temple and, and, and not to take it for granted that we have something that so many other people don't have with the health that we have and the lives that we've been given and just all the opportunities that you've given to us in life. I pray that you'd help us to glorify you in our bodies, to get more out of the bodies that you've given to us and to see it as an essential part of our relationship with you. I pray for every single person here, especially those who have struggled so many times to keep their resolutions. I pray that this time that you would help them to rely on your power, not on their own willpower, and through the power of community and group that they would really find the ability to make the transformation and change that they so desire in life. Lord, we pray this in the name of your Son, with the intercessions and prayers of all your saints. Here's as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all very much. Again, if you want to sign up for Life Group, do so in the back. If you want to pick up a copy of the Daniel Plan, you can do it there too. See you all next week.